For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. I'll begin reading at verse 13 to verse 20. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. In the previous verses, Jesus warns the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees, referring to the Pharisees' teachings. Beware of their teachings. Now, that's very important as we consider our text this evening. Beginning at verse 13, let us now hear God's word. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ." As far as the reading of God's word, let's ask a blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit of the living God is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May you feed us true spiritual food and drink so that we, O oh Lord, hear your word and walk in a manner worthy of it, walking in faith, hope, and love. Oh God, be with us now as we hear the proclamation of your word and the hope of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of Christ, Jesus entered with his disciples the region of Caesarea Philippi, which was about 25 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, and it was mostly a Gentile region. This area will become very significant as it relates to why Jesus teaches that Peter will be the rock. And I'm Peter, Jesus will build his church. What does that even mean? <laughs> you notice the title of my sermon is Peter the Rock. Well, I thought Jesus is my rock. I thought God is my rock. What's being referred to here? Well, Peter's going to give, or Jesus is going to give Peter and the apostles a lesson, a very significant lesson in the region of Caesarea Philippi, because as usual, Jesus likes to use the environment, the context, culture, to give a very significant point in his teaching. And as we work through this sermon, you'll see the significance of Caesarea Philippi and why Jesus gave this particular teaching to Peter the rock. We have here Jesus asking the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself. Who do people say that he is? 
Some believed he was John the Baptist resurrected. For example, Herod believed that he was John the Baptist. Some thought he was a prophet of old, like Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet. But the people believed that he was a prophet of God. Who was this son of man? Then Jesus asked his own disciples. He turns to them and says, who do you say that I am? And Jesus looks at them and he he tells them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter makes a good, true confession of faith before his master and Lord. You are the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one promised in the Old Testament, the King of David. Jesus reminds Peter why he was able to make that confession of faith. The Father, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas. Bar means son. Son of Jonas. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. Human nature, by nature we cannot confess Christ as Lord. The Father must reveal the Christ to us. Because we are blind in sin, hardened hearts, and it is the Father who revealed or made known to Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Of all the disciples, Jesus tells Peter his future quite often, doesn't he? From Peter's denial to Peter's uh, future death and how Peter would die and everything in between, Jesus spoke to Peter quite often about his role in Christ's church and kingdom. And that's what he will do in verses 18 and 19. When he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This evening I want to focus on those two verses in its context. Verses 18 and 19. After Peter makes this bold confession of faith, Jesus tells Peter, You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Jesus here uses a figure of speech, or he does a play on words. On this rock, Christ will build his church. Who is the rock? On this rock, what rock? Look with me in your Bible. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, the Greek word Petros. And on this rock, the Greek word Petra. Play of words Peter or Jesus is using. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. There are several interpretations of this passage of Scripture. One interpretation comes from the Roman Catholic Church and tradition that believes that Jesus is giving Peter such authority over the church that he is the head or vicar of the church. He is the representative of Christ on earth. And he possesses such power, such authority... And it's solely given to Peter. One Roman Catholic author wrote this. Listen. 
the Pope is crowned with triple crown as king of heaven, of earth and of hell. He wields two swords, the spiritual and the temporal. The same author writes, to be a true follower of Christ, all Christians, both among the clergy and laity, must be in communion with the Pope of Rome, where Peter rules in the person of his, of his successor. So if you want to be in communion with the church, you must be in communion with Peter. That is, Peter's successor, the Pope. To deny the, the Pope is to deny Peter. To deny Peter is to deny Christ and his call. They call this apostolic succession. That Peter's office succeeded to the next Pope. Where the next Pope and the next Pope and the next Pope will possess such authority over the church on earth. Well, we, we reject this interpretation because Jesus alone is the one true head of the church. He is the true head of the church. He doesn't give Peter headship over the church. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church on this rock. There's no biblical evidence that Peter will have a successor to assume a position of authority, a position of headship over the church, what they call the Bishop of Rome. Moreover, the gift of apostleship ceased when the ministry of the twelve and of the apostles and prophets ceased when they died. So what are we to make of this? On this rock I will build my church. Well, there are a couple interpretations, two plausible ones. First, interpreters of the evangelical Protestant tradition believes that when Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, Jesus is referring to the confession of faith that Peter made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock that some interpreters believe Christ will build his church. He will build his church upon that confession of faith. This is one of the most common interpretations of the passage. The issue with it, however, is that on this rock is not closely connected with you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The nearest, what they call nearest antecedent or the nearest noun or pronoun next to that is Peter. On You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. The nearest antecedent of on this rock is Peter himself. And so the second interpretation, which I believe is the more plausible one and the one that is contextual based on the context here, is that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build, future tense, my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. The rock is Peter. That is, on Peter, this rock, Christ will build his church, through the ministry that Christ calls Peter to engage in. Peter, 
will be the one who will preach the gospel. He will preach the truth of Christ crucified and risen. Christ will use Peter to build his church. For example, at the conclusion of John's gospel, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Jesus appoints, sets apart Peter in a very unique way. Even there, at the end of John's gospel. And then in Peter, or then in Acts, Peter was the leader of the disciples and apostles. We see that in Acts chapter 1, when they're in the upper room. We see that at the day of Pentecost, when God pours out His Spirit. And it is Peter who stands up and preaches the gospel. Preaches Christ crucified and risen. And God, by His grace, uses Peter and the preaching of the gospel to add thousands to the church. Many souls were converted. On this rock, on Peter, Jesus was building His church through the preaching of the word of the gospel. Jesus, not Peter, will build His church and is building His church. It's the testimony of faith, of truth, that Peter is communicating. He is the steward in God's church who preaches the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He preaches the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And God, by His grace, reveals the Christ to lost sinners. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Talking to the Ephesian church there. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. These Gentile believers are part of the household of God, the church of God. Built, verse 20, built on the foundation of whom? The apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is building his church and he used the apostles and prophets to declare the truth of the gospel. This very record of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, is the word given to us by Christ, by our God, through his prophets. You are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And God will use Peter to kick it off. 
God will use Peter, a man who denied Jesus three times. Timid, cowardly Peter. He will transform and make him a servant of King Jesus. And Paul and Peter is told by Jesus, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it or not overpower it. Gates were used defensively to protect a city from attacks, and so it carried this metaphor of strength. The strength of a city depended on the strength of the gates of the city. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know about gates. When the enemy, the evil powers of Mordor, try to overpower the gates of Minas Tirith, the power of the city depended on the strength of the gates. The gates of Hades or the strength of death, the strength of death cannot withstand the church's march forward because Christ conquered death and hell in his own death and resurrection. This gospel of Christ crucified and risen will go forth by the apostles and prophets, by the rock Peter and his fellow co-laborers. Death has no strength in the presence of Christ and has no power or authority over the church. Now I said Caesarea Philippi is important, and it's important for this reason. Why did Jesus choose this particular region to give this particular lesson in charge to Peter? Well, the location was especially unique because it stood off of, uh, at a, the base of a cliff where water, a waterfall, poured down. And the people of Caesarea Philippi, they saw the water as a symbol of the underworld. And they thought that the gods traveled in and out of the underworld through these caves and these waterfalls. The cave in spring water was a gate, was a gate to the underworld. That was their world and life view. And so they called upon the god Pan. Talked about the gods of Egypt. There were many gods throughout the entire region there. From Egypt to Asia Minor to Asia. All parts of the world. Their world and life view revolved around the gods. And this god Pan came in and out of the gate of the underworld. And it was in fact believed by the people that Caesarea Philippi was the gate of the underworld. The city itself. And so per usual, Jesus uses this environment, culture, and landscape to make a teaching point. Peter, you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church. You will proclaim the message that I have conquered death. I have entered the underworld, and I have defeated it. I have conquered it. I have entered the grave, and I am alive. Behold, I was dead. Behold, I am alive again, and I live forevermore. And the way to life is the way through me. The way to life is through me. Peter, declare this truth. 
that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. I have defeated death. I have defeated the grave. I am the conquering, risen Lord Jesus Christ, and you will proclaim me. And people will come to know me as Lord and Savior, and they will be saved from their sins and receive life everlasting. On this rock, Christ will build His church. And then he says in verse 19, I will give you, Peter, I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So to this rock, secondly, Christ gives the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom, which ought not to be confused with the church. The church exists, abides in the kingdom, but the kingdom abides outside of the church, outside of the walls of the church as well. Christ is king over all the world. He rules and reigns over all the world. He reigns in the church, within the redeemed people of God, and He lives and reigns and rules in the kingdom in this world. And He gives Peter the keys of the kingdom. What is the meaning of the keys of the kingdom? What's the significance? Well, keys open Doors, they unlock or shut doors. In biblical times, keys were used figuratively to refer to the office of a steward. So, for example, if a master of a house hires or brings on a steward, and he entrusts that steward with his household, he gives them the keys to the household. He gives the steward authority. Authority over the master's household. The servant steward then possessed authority and power given to him by the master of the house. For example, if you think about the life of Joseph, Joseph received the keys to whose house? Potiphar's house. He gained favor in the sight of Potiphar, and Potiphar made him master or steward of the house. And think about his time under being second in command under Pharaoh. Joseph found favor with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gave him that authority and power over the land of Egypt. Today, if you're a manager of a store, the owner of the store gives you that managerial position. The manager, what possesses the key? The owner of the store says, here, you're the manager of the store. I'm going to give you the key. And you have authority to open the store or close the store. We're going to talk about this analogy in a little bit, even further. When Christ gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter, he gives Peter authority to be a steward of the kingdom. Christ Jesus being the ultimate authority, as we see in Matthew 28. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And so they go in the authority of Christ. 
In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. What is he saying there? He has the divine authority. King Jesus, the risen one, has the divine authority to open and shut the gates of Hades. I don't. Peter was given the authority to preach Christ crucified and risen. And by his preaching of forgiveness of sins and everlasting life through faith in Christ, people are admitted or excluded from the kingdom of heaven. If you have your forms and prayers book, if you please take that out. Turn with me to page 235, 235. On the bottom, Lord's Day 31. Congregation, I'm going to ask the question, question 83, and you respond with the answer, please. What are the keys of the kingdom, the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and Christian discipline toward repentance? Both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. Next page, please. How does preaching the Holy Gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is open by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. The keys of the kingdom are preaching the gospel and church discipline, which comes up later in Matthew chapter 18. Peter preached the narrow way to life with God in the kingdom of heaven through faith in the crucified and risen Christ. Contrast Peter's ministry to that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verse 13. Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his day. Chapter 23, beginning at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Listen. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Their ministry, their ministry was one of hypocrisy, they had the wrong keys. 
They were preaching with the wrong keys. In fact, they were shutting doors. They were shutting the kingdom to the people, deceiving the people. They shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces because they had the wrong set of keys. Congregation of Christ, the true and faithful church, depends on what keys are being used by the church. You need the right set of keys to start your car, to open your car. You need the right set of keys to open your house door. What keys are the church using? Are they counterfeit keys? Or are they keys of the kingdom as Christ prescribed? Beware of false churches who preach a false gospel because the consequences are exclusion from the kingdom. What the church preaches matters. And it is the loving thing to preach the truth. It is unloving. It is unloving to preach falsehood and lies. As is what is happening in these days, this present evil age. When you seek out a church to become a member, if you're in that situation in life, do they use the right keys that open the way to the kingdom of heaven? Or do they shut it by preaching a false gospel? Do they open the way to the kingdom of heaven when folks, believers, turn to the Lord in faith and repentance? And do they shut it when the gospel of truth is being proclaimed and people Believe and have hardened hearts. Do not believe and have hardened hearts and therefore do not have the promise of salvation. Today it seems like false churches or churches in general, they're like a janitor that has a set of keys. You ever see that? A set of keys with maybe a linear or something and there's just a bundle of keys And you ask them to open a door, and they're like, oh, that's not working. That's not working. That's not working. Let's go to the next key. As if each key is a fad in society and culture that the church is trying to appease people and tickle people's ears because we want to be liked. We want to show that they love them. Well, friends, the loving thing we do is preach the truth. And there's only one set of keys that Jesus gave to Peter and to all the apostles and prophets and to the church of the living God. To this rock, the keys of the kingdom are given. Thirdly, through this rock, the terms of the kingdom are established. Jesus adds, and whatever, notice not whoever, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus permits Peter to declare the terms of forgiveness of sins and entrance into the kingdom of God. And this, these terms are based on Jesus' teachings already. Jesus and the apostles declare God's terms for entrance into the kingdom. 
to declare who is admitted and to declare who is excluded. To bind means to bind means what's not permitted and to loosen means what's permitted. To, bi- to bind means what's unlawful and to loose means what is lawful. One translation, I find it very helpful. Whatever you forbid on earth will be what is forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be what is permitted in heaven. So in other words, Jesus gave Peter and the church authority to declare the conduct which is lawful in the kingdom of heaven. Using the Old Testament scriptures and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Remember Matthew 28, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. Jesus taught them what it means to be citizens of the kingdom, what it means to enter the kingdom. Peter was given the keys of the kingdom, and he exercises his authority to declare what's permissible and what's not permissible in the kingdom. And this was true with the Apostle Paul. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Stop right there. What is he doing here? He's making a statement of who is admitted and who is excluded. The unrighteous are excluded from the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. For such conduct, friends, is unbefitting of the kingdom of heaven. And Paul, like the apostles, have the authority to proclaim what is permissible and what is not permissible. If you're taking notes, Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, Paul again gives a list of the works of the flesh. And those works of the flesh, whoever practices these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul reminds the Corinthians, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus, by His blood and the Spirit, cleansed these Corinthians of their sins, sanctified them, set them apart for the kingdom of heaven, that they may walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Through this rock, the terms of the kingdom are established. If a person confesses Christ but his life is contrary to that confession. He thinks he can confess Christ and yet live as citizens of darkness, live like the devil, so to speak. 
namely live in an unrepentant, rebellious manner towards God. The church calls the wayward sinner to repentance, to turn from sin and to turn to Christ. This is church discipline where the church, even Christians engaging in this calling back to repentance and faith, turn back from this way of life. Heed the warning. Learn of the consequence. Know the consequence. One commentator says, naturally if a person continued to do or to believe what was forbidden, refusing to repent, he would be disciplined. Conversely, if he repented from his evil way, he would be forgiven. The ban would be lifted. And so the church is given the keys of the kingdom. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church declares through the preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline what Christ has commanded in the Bible regarding faith and repentance in Christ. Friends, this is so important for us to hear. Recently, I read an article And this article was about the use of AI technology, artificial intelligence. And a group of folks from the Pride movement, uh, the LGBTQ plus movement, used AI technology to come up with a saying from Jesus. I'm not going to go into how AI works, for I really don't know how it works. But they use AI technology to say something that Jesus would have said if this whole pride movement existed back then. And so they punched in on their computer and their AI technology. It was called it is called Chat GPT, and um, created a lie that says Jesus accepts trans-identified individuals, stating there is no man nor woman. And so that's what they plugged into the computer system, state something that Jesus would say if there was no man or no woman. And so the AI system came up with this. And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you as strange, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves, for they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved, for God looks not upon the body, but upon the hearts." This was an artificial intelligence created false gospel, fake gospel message that came up when they plugged in their computer. AI, tell us what Jesus would say concerning man and woman. This lie will shut the kingdom of God to those who believe it. And as I've said, love speaks the truth. Love speaks the truth. 
Churches have bought into the lie preaching a false gospel that leads to death. And so we cling fast to the Word of God. Peter the Rock preached the gospel of our salvation. He preached the truth that Jesus Christ gave him to preach, that which Jesus commanded him to preach. And we follow the pattern of sound doctrine and teaching that comes from the Bible. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, because Christ indeed is building his church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so we must not be deceived. We must be able to discern what are counterfeit keys and what are the true keys. Are the kingdoms of the kingdom faithful being preached in churches across the globe? Are they being preached here at Emmanuel? Are we being faithful to this calling to declare Christ is Lord? That He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need to pray that more and more churches faithfully use the kingdom keys of the kingdom to the glory of Christ's name because Christ calls us to preach and teach the gospel. When you look for a church, there are two essential characteristics. Two essential characteristics that promote the keys of the kingdom, preaching and church discipline. Are we being faithful? Is the church of Jesus Christ being faithful in this calling? And take heart, Christian, that when you have heard the word, when the keys of the kingdom have been declared to you, and you believed, you declared that Christ is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, be encouraged, be grateful and joyful that the Father has revealed that to you. He has revealed it to you. Praise His name. Praise His name. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your mercies that abound. We thank you, O Lord, that you bestow upon your church the calling to preach Christ, the whole Christ of Scripture, not cherry-pick and preach what we think we want to preach. But may may we preach, O Lord, the whole counsel of God, the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, and not turn to the left or to the right, but be centered upon Christ. For he indeed is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we pray, O Lord, through the ministry of the word, that you would draw your people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to yourself. That you would indeed open the gates the narrow gates to those whom you have called according to your electing love. Oh, Father, we pray that we would be a church that holds fast the Bible and your truth, that we may speak the truth in love, that we would be gracious and kind, that we, O oh Lord, would be bold and firm in our confession of faith, May you remove any arrogance or pride. 
May you remove any hatred, but help us to be a people who turn from those things, the sins of the flesh, and to put on Christ daily, the fruit of the Spirit. May those be found in us. We pray this in Jesus' name.